Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring news analysis and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Sabota Kindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and I have to start this episode with a confession. I'm not a very decisive person, and actually, making decisions makes me nervous. Yet, decision-making about customers, transactions, behaviors, and so forth is at the heart of the risk-based approach that guides financial crime compliance. And financial crime compliance professionals are asked to make dozens or hundreds of decisions every day. With negative news, sanctions, pep risks all piling up, the pace and scale of decision-making only seems to increase. Given this rate of change, many institutions are moving away from static or periodic risk assessments to more dynamic and therefore more useful ongoing or perpetual Know Your Customer, KYC. That's more easily said than done. FinCrime professionals are being asked to manage this flood of decisioning in the risk-based approach and innovate and become more efficient all at the same time. Does this make you nervous? If so, I don't blame you. But here's some good news. There's some very smart and very capable people working on these challenges, and I have the pleasure of being joined by one of them on this very podcast. My guest today is Graham Bailey, Chief Operating Officer of Quantified. He's going to give us insights on the successful ingredients of a perpetual KYC program, including leveraging public-private partnerships for defining risk, open source intelligence gathering, and a healthy dose of AI-driven name science. Well, Graham, thank you so much for being here. It is a real pleasure to have you on the Financial Crime Cast. Uh, many listeners out there may know Graham uh, from some of his, his former lives, um, now at Quantified and uh, heading up some really fascinating initiatives as the Chief Operating Officer there. Um, we're thrilled to have you here. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I guess I've I've been in this space, hopefully not too long, but long enough. Excellent. Well, great background to be talking about this topic. You know, you come from the uh, compliance world at some some of the world's largest institutions. Um, And again, as mentioned now, quantifying, assisting some of the world's largest financial institutions with uh, initiatives around, among other things, perpetual KYC. Um, so to start out this conversation, let's, let's start at a, a logical point, which is, which is simply why bother at all? Why are we talking about perpetual KYC? Um, why look at this? You know, I know that there is a, um, there's some out there who might say, you know, I have KYC, CDD processes. We've been doing this forever. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, so what would you say in response? Yeah, no, Brian, thanks. I, I think, you know, the, the, the key bit with society today and the, and the and the situation we're we're in in terms of a regulated environment it is that the timing matters and uh i think all of us are used to having uh kyc processes that are set up over you know the 24 36 months for medium and low risk and maybe annually for for high risk customers uh, but then the realities of that is the the media and our examinations um, happen at a point in time. And and if something breaks, um, there's going to be a situation where someone's going to be, why why didn't we know about our customer? And if you're sat there as a compliance person saying, well, no, we were going to do the refresh on them in 10 months, 
And we would have found out then that they were involved in a drug trafficking ring and also involved in human trafficking. Um, it's not a great defense. Yeah, if you're a tier one bank, um, you've just posted your, you know, millions of revenue. Uh, you're not a great candidate to ask for sympathy from the media to then say, well, but they were going to look at them in 10 months time. So give them a break. Um, I just don't think that that's, that's where we're at. And, and the same with the, the exam cycle. I think, um, mo for those people that aren't familiar with, you know, on-site exams, but as you get that, 100 customer sample pulled by either you know your your fed your occ or, or your you know cfpb team coming in then you don't know who they're going to pick it's a sample and again the same holds true in the same way with the media of then if they're finding things on that there becomes a certain point when if they systemically find enough problems saying oh we were going to look at them at the 12 24 or 36 month cycle just just doesn't hold um and should and um, realistically it much probably shouldn't yeah yeah i mean i think it's a great point and i think um <laughs> we've had a number of real life examples in the past six months alone that have really emphasized this need for for a much faster reaction time right i mean the russian invasion of ukraine the sanctions the emerging regulation around cryptocurrency that might impact your customers it's just so much happening so quickly, it absolutely speaks to this need to to be able to react much closer to real time rather than cyclically, as as you're mentioning. Right, and 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 people will come back to it's risk based, and obviously that risk is what's happening today. And and the like you say with the, the unfortunate events, you know, in in Ukraine. Um, that that was an immediate response. So I must admit, you know, most banks have done a great, great job in terms of doing that for the first level of connections. But now it's then okay. What about where's the money gone? Yeah, the Russians weren't sat there in February twenty fifth going, oh, I wonder if we'll be sanctioned. Um, you know that that money had already been moved, and it, and now it's like, okay, what's coming up in in where that money is? And again, are you immediately responding to it? before they're sanctioned uh, because you, you you don't want to be left holding that to me it's similar to to check kiting in the old days of the you know the last bank holding holding the 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 checks was was then the one that took the loss and i think the same with the regulators um, and law enforcement if you're the last institution still doing business with a particular problem area they're gonna it's gonna stand out as to why were you slow to react <laughs> No, that's a great point. The last, the last bank holding the risk in this case uh, is, is going to be the one that, that loses out. So, uh, well, I think that's a fantastic introduction to you know why perpetual KYC. We have you know seeming, a seeming at least uh, increasing variety and velocity of risk we're facing. We have a need to react in a more timely way. You know, we have an increasing uh, regulatory, you know, regulatory and media expectation that timeliness is a virtue. Um, so then the next question obviously becomes, how do we get there? Um, what data do you need to achieve this perpetual KYC? Um, and how are you accumulating data? And particularly around, you know, the challenges banks already face, not just banks, many players and institutions in the financial sector um, face around dealing with 
this this you know data related challenges. So um, you know, first of all, what data do you need to cover within the perpetual KYC concept, um, and then how do you how do you get that? Yeah, no, great, Brian. I, I think obviously that the the standards obviously of sanctions and PEPs are, are there immediately, but I think the the key then obviously is is the adverse media and and then also things like the ICIJ releases, um, which are keep adding and adding up in terms of the amount that that's out there. I think to the point of your question, so the the data is part of the problem. In, in in some ways that it, it's not so much just well what data do I look against it's it's how do I cope with that volume of data and I think the thing that's changed um, with technology such as quantifiers is is the ability to now consume that volume of data uh, and and the way in which you can keep pace with what's going on in news in Singapore you know the morning morning star in Hong Kong. What's going on in China, within the UK, within the European Union, the US, Canada? Now you've got the ability that you can actually consume all of that data at scale, which really wasn't there. Um, it reminds me of kind of where transaction monitoring was 20 years ago, in that people were like, "Well, we we just monitor the bad bad transactions," and that's not really a great way to go about it. You need to monitor everything, and then. And then siphon out. Okay, what are the bads? Right. And I think it's the same with the the media and the data problem. Is you have to look at everything that's being reported. The other problem that banks face is how do you know what's bad? And everyone talks about a risk based approach, uh, but can you have? 10 or you know, 100 or 1,000 or thousands of investigators or KYC analysts that really understand all of the risks and know what they're looking for. I think you mentioned before, obviously, having worked at Wells Fargo for over a decade and then Royal Bank of Scotland Group, um, every, every bank I've come into contact with has some brilliant investigators and brilliant KYC onboarding analysts. But also they have the rest of that team. And by definition, kind of half of that team is, is not up to the same standard as your top performers. And maybe doesn't know the difference between human smuggling and human trafficking, doesn't know all of the different drug trafficking that can be out there, all of the different drugs that are out there, um, doesn't understand even you know what countries are high risk or not high risk so i think the the beauty of the technologies that we have available to us now is that you can systemically look at that volume of data and make a good decision yeah uh, that's a fantastic point on the you know the risk side right it's just very difficult to have insight into even the high performers, very difficult to have insight into all of the risks that you really need to track and what those look like, you know, in practice, right? Transactionally um, or behaviorally, you can have a an understanding of whatever it is, environmental crime, wildlife trafficking. But what does that look like in terms of customer behaviors and, you know, wire transfers and so forth? It's just it's very challenging. Um, and so, you know, having some other layer solution whatever it is on top of that is really 
you know, increasingly necessary as we, as we rightly bring an increasing number of risks under the sort of financial crime umbrella. Um, it seems like annually there's sort of a new, a new category of risk that we're now monitoring for. Right. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's this great thing of that we release priorities. Yeah. And, and there's so many priorities. Can you really then actually understand all of them? Plus, we're asking those same analysts at that bank to also understand all of the banking products, understand how customers operate with transactions, how they operate not just with accounts, but the checking accounts, which maybe they understand, but then their mortgage, their brokerage account, their trading activity, their trade finance activity. So then you move into the coins, the crypto space. How much are we expecting a single analyst to understand? I think what we're seeing is the the move to having uh, key public-private partnerships uh, where those experts can then define risk and then leverage the, the systems to look at those risks completely across all of the spectrums. The, there are, like I said, there's some great people in the industry that understand all of these things, but, but they're very few and far between. Um, just because of what's humanly possible, um, not because they're bad, bad individuals. Um, but you, you, you can't be an expert in everything. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, both a question of, uh, experience and a question of just sheer time to learn all, all of the areas we need, you, you need to, to learn in order to cover all of these risks. So, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned the, the, um, the comparison to transaction monitoring and the, you know, we only, we only, uh, monitor the bad transactions type of thing. And then eventually, you know, now we're monitoring a much broader range of transactions. And, um, is that sort of scale ability possible on the KYC side too? Right. I mean, I know at least historically, I've heard a lot of institutions say, you know, yeah, it would be nice, but it's, too much of a challenge. It's too much of a, a challenge to scale that up, right? We can do it for certain very high risk customers, um, maybe the top level of risk, you know, high net worth or whatever it is. But applying this sort of more broadly to a wider customer base, no, it just doesn't work too manual, too time intensive. Yeah. But I'll give you two examples. Um, we, we recently did a, a study for one, one large institution. Uh, we ran through 50,000 of their investors. Uh, and found linkages to only 20 um, that had kind of one remove from a, a Russian sanctioned entity. <laughs> uh, so I think that ability of running through 50,000 and just then, okay, look at these 20 illustrates a couple of things. One, the name science has moved on to be able to find the right individuals and not, not bring back a huge volume. You know, the, the early days of transaction monitoring was just, you know, Never mind the risk. Look at the quality, look at the volume of alerts I can generate. I think, I think the newer technologies are looking at much more pinpoint accuracy. Um, uh, and the, uh, the other test I'll, I'll move to is for, for one client, we just run a test of running 43 million customers. Um, and running that through as a, as a daily batch. Um, we could, we can easily do that and then come back and then say, okay, what is of interest that's new today? Yeah, obviously, you you know, you do your one-off refresh of all of the information that's out there, but then incrementally coming back with, okay, what has hurt adversely today on your customer base? 
I'm, I'm not saying that, that you should be doing all 43 million every day, um, but the technology is there to, to enable you to do it. And I think the, the risk profiles and leveraging kind of information from things like United for Wildlife or Polaris, um, you can really make great decisions about what allegations are out there. And I want to come back to that point on allegations in a minute, but um, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, it, you know, I, on one hand, it does seem inconceivable to do all 43 million uh, in a day. But on the other hand, you know, we look at something like the uh, the fraud space, right? And it's not an apples to apples comparison. But, you know, at this point, fraud, transaction monitoring, fraud, you know, uh, uh, is a uh, generally pretty real time and continuous for all customers right so why can't we in the you know aml and other financial crime space move in that direction um i think there are uh, you know there's absolutely an opportunity there to you know, as you're saying really really apply it to everyone um and do it on a continuous basis so um maybe not a uh uh, achievable right at this moment but hopefully that is a trend that we are moving towards is that more real-time you know, AML comprehensively. Yeah, I think I think what we'll see is is people move to virtual investigators. I, I think we're seeing that already. You just look on any of the the job sites, you see how many postings there are out there for KYC analysts and investigators. Um, there's there's just a not enough resources available, mm-hmm. and and having a virtual investigator look at that that customer base for you and most probably better than a large number of the individuals that you could train um, is, is really an option there for the, the institutions. Yeah. I no, mentioned, oh, sorry, Brian. Go, yeah, go ahead, please. I, I mentioned allegations as well, because I think the, the other piece uh, that's key with the, the technologies is that remembering that we're there to find suspicion and not prove cr- criminality. And I think one of the most interesting things on the news side is looking at when the allegations are there. Yeah, if you if we we look at court and arrest data as well, but obviously a lot of the times the arrest is well after when the problem has occurred, given you know the time from you know investigation to a good case, a case being taken to court, an arrest happening, you know, uh, and the and the prosecution going through. Uh, it's really also then being able to judge those allegations and deciding, okay, when is there uh, an allegation that's a concern and then making sure that you've got that notification going out from your institution uh, across to the regulator. Um, One, obviously helping law enforcement with the transactional data you may be seeing, but two, also protecting the reputational risk of your bank before you wait for it to become a a court case or an, an arrest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and that speaks to your point earlier about being able to incorporate at volume open source intelligence. Um, you know, it's, it's, it becomes really important to be able to get that adverse media, that, you know, ICIJ documents, Pandora papers, Panama papers, whatever it is, and have those, you know, that set of, again, not provable financial crimes, but allegations in your toolkit when you're making these decisions. Yeah, I, I remember when the first ICIJ links leaks came out, you know, we, we were manually going through and creating 
lists of you know okay how many ways can can we spell brian kindle you know what are the very name variations on that creating the name variations and then running all of those searches through the customer base um to then look at okay you know what matches we may or may have and and that was mostly you know uh stepped out over a six-month exercise to get through a customer base um we can turn that around now in seconds wow. uh, with the technologies. And, and also, I think seeing people to your, your fraud point of migrating also to the cloud, you know, in terms of what's possible um, with kind of Microsoft Azure or AWS or, you know, you know, a cloud within the bank's environment, depending on their security uh, concerns. It, it, the speed that's available now is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's to be with what uh with uh what we're up against so i'm I'm glad to hear it um uh what about we've talked a lot about you know the institutional side the tech side but what about the regulatory perspective um you know you mentioned that there is some level of potential increased scrutiny pressure so on and so forth but is this something that you see more of a regulatory expectation is it moving in that direction is it just simply beneficial what, what's your thought on on the regulatory viewpoint I, I think you've got a few things haven't you? you've got the the aml act 2020 um, making such a strong push for innovation and looking to support innovation um, and and then you've got the whole problem of regulation versus guidance and and the guidance that gets released um, can be interpreted in in various different ways and i I don't think it's being mandated by the regulation yet, but I think you're seeing the examiners that are coming out and doing the on-the-ground examinations, interpreting that guidance and, and pushing more to uh, perpetual KYC. Uh, I think also the Wolfsburg group coming out with guidance on it um, is going to up the ante. And typically what we've seen throughout the, the 30 years I've been dealing in this space, but is that the, the regulation rapidly keeps up to what the, what's possible with the technology and the solutions that are out there. Um, so I think it, it's definitely going to be the, the kind of three stage that we'll see banks that, and institutions that are moving to it already um, to get ahead of the problem and really mitigate the risk. We'll then see those banks that move to it as it becomes formal regulation and then we'll see the the consent orders and uh, follow through after that to, to then get the the last wave of cust- you know potential institutions out there that that then are doing it once it becomes formal regulation. Um, but I think it becoming the expected norm is is almost inevitable uh, over the next three to five years. Yeah, uh, it definitely. I mean, it, it seems like it been talking about perpetual KYC actually for a while now, and it's definitely trending in that, that direction. So absolutely. Um, so let, let's flip and, and talk from another perspective now, which is the technology side. Um, from a technology team, you know, uh, what does it mean to adopt perpetual KYC? What needs to be in place? You know, how, how, what, what role does the tech side play? Um, and how do you bring them into the picture here? I, th- I think the I mentioned on cloud computing earlier. I think what we're seeing is that the the tech adoption is so much faster. I think well, 
unlike the kind of the transaction monitoring or the sanction screening where you you have to be embedded within getting a feed of those transactions um as they occur whether it's you know the the daily load of the of the transactions on the monitoring system you know or the real time on the sanctions piece um what you, what we see with uh, the KYC side is you can upload a copy of that customer base to the cloud and and have that up and running within weeks um which is a, a situation that just was would never be possible um, at the same level of speed on the on the transactional side of kind of redirecting the transaction flow. Um, although I'm sure we'll get there pretty soon as well. But um, the the cloud adoption, I think we're seeing it there. It got a little bit of a hiccup when uh, I think Capital One had their their exposure with Amazon Web Services. But that that's kind of a long way in the rearview mirror, and really now the the stability of those cloud providers um are most probably in excess of where the banks are at and you know in in amazon and, and azure both of whom we partner with um the security is is towns amount to them staying in business um and obviously we also do the work supporting uh, the department of defense and, and other uh government agencies and uh again the standards that they have you can see that that's being met by kind of doing that in a, in a hosted environment uh which really speaks to the the speed i think the the other piece that's evolved that makes the technology easier is the amount of data that you need um especially if you're looking at eu and gdpr but the name science has evolved so much um, that you don't necessarily need the social security number. You don't need the full date of birth. And if you're really doing adverse media, you're not going to get the Wall Street Journal posting Brian's social security number or Brian's date of birth in the article anyway. Yeah, so I think from a PII perspective, um, you're looking at a much narrower set of information that you need to have being shared. And then the other bit, and I'll draw the parallel to, to cash and crypto, Um is uh, people talk about sharing information out to do the perpetual KYC and their concerns about um, information security. But we have all of these analysts right now keying everything into Google. And and we we have all of our investigators and our KYC analysts and Google's taking every customer every day from every bank um, and, and able to see what's going on. Uh, and we had the same, obviously, with our with our law enforcement relationships. And I think what we're seeing is people moving away from kind of Google as your um, news search to then having a far more secure environment with something like Quantifying uh, that that then doesn't retain that information and also isn't trying to then market on the back of your customers or even in Google's case become a bank. Yeah, uh, at some point. So uh, I think the the technology piece is really at that tipping point of uh, cloud adoption, uh, with a much smaller amount of information needed to then do that adverse media uh, perpetual KYC at scale. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to paraphrase uh, 
Loretta Lynn, we've come a long way, baby, when it comes to technology. So um, it's uh, it's encouraging to see the uh, uh, play out in the the financial sector, which sometimes is a little slower than uh, than uh, others uh, to adopt here. Um, let me let me revisit a point um, that you made earlier on the risk side, and Quantify's been doing some great work around risk definition. But one of the challenges here is. Um, you know, we have, as mentioned, a, a array of risks, new ones adopted on a regular basis or new ones that are recognized on a regular basis. But the formal kind of coherent definition of these risks is not always uh, attached to them, right? The risk definition is sometimes various and vague um, when you look at things like, you know, environmental crime, for example, or wildlife trafficking, domestic terrorism. These are terms that um, don't necessarily have a fixed definition, fixed terms associated with them across industries or across um, institutions. So Quantified has been working on that, uh, which has been fantastic. And they've been working on it with uh, public-private partners. Um, So what do you see? I mean, if you don't mind talking a little bit about what you've been doing there, but also what role you see for public-private partnership in simply, you know, defining those risks and how that then attaches back to monitoring and risk assessment and, and the KYC piece. No, no, thanks, Brian. Yeah, it, it kind of adds to the point we were talking earlier about, you know, how much of an expert can you be in so many different things? And and I think we we recognized early on and Quantifying did in terms of that that need for public private partnership. Um, you know, the technology side we we have um, at the highest levels of, of ethical AI and what we're now partnering that with, with the, the benefit of partners like Polaris or United for Wildlife or even the, you know, the US government it is then defining that risk and having a, in effect, think of it almost like a Wikipedia that doesn't really do it full justice, but on every key risk type. And we have over 60 now built out um, and and that would be for wildlife trafficking going down to, you know, obviously what animals of concern. So then pangolins, okay. But then below pangolin, actually defining um, pangolin scales in multiple different languages, so that when we're then doing that search for both news in uh, uh, around the globe, we're able to make sure that we're looking at the the real terms to then look at whether or not that particular piece of smuggling or wildlife trafficking is, is occurring. Uh, the same with, we've done some great work with uh, Sarah Crow uh, at Polaris, and she's helped us build out uh, basically new risk cards for uh, human smuggling uh, as well as human trafficking uh, and making sure that we've got clear understandings of what are the different risk factors that you have to have in play. Um, and then our data scientists have access to that full wiki to be able to then do the things they're expert in, which is data science and and artificial intelligence, to then take that and make sure our models are perpetually improving and adapting to the criminals. And I think you touched on this a minute ago, but the criminals aren't regulated um, and they're not looking to take up legitimate business. They're looking to adapt constantly and rapidly uh, to keep their organizations churning through massive amounts of criminal profits. Um, I was at ACAM's, uh, apologies for mentioning a competitor, Brian, 
but um, I was at a Europol presentation, let's put it that way, um, a couple of weeks ago in Brussels. And um, I think Europol there were up on stage again saying that we capture 2% of the activity. Um, how, how can you argue against improving what we're doing today if you're saying, okay, we're, we're catching 2%? Um, then we've got to make some step changes forwards. And I think uh, we see our, our use of public-private partnership and getting better definition in place to then combine that with the best AI is going to get us to much higher rates of return for society, not just for financial institutions, but we're all benefit from getting rid of human trafficking, wildlife trafficking, deforestation um, for drug plantations. Um, we've got to attack these things. It's the it's the right thing for us all to do. Yeah, no, fantastic points. And you know, we we at ACFCS definitely to bang that drum, but it's it's always a a vital point to really revisit, which is that this is a compliance consideration and a regulatory consideration. But at the end of the day, this is a a benefit to society, and we have a societal societal obligation to. Um, get this right and to iterate and improve, as you mentioned, you know, this financial crime is about restricting the funds, hopefully cutting off, capturing the funds of some of the worst criminals, bad actors, et cetera, um, on the planet. And, uh, you know, that, that is a, that is an extremely compelling obligation, um, and an extremely strong argument for, for doing things better, especially when, as you mentioned, you know, we're capturing 2% of activity. I figure that, you know, I don't, I, in my, in my time doing this work has, doesn't seem like it's changed very much, right? So there's obviously things we can, there are things we can do to improve. Um, and just to close it out, you know, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how this then applies across the risk management program. Um, so if you're applying a perpetual KYC solution, you want to obviously make sure that all of your elements are kind of working in harmony, right? We've heard kind of ad nauseum about different, uh, different elements of the risk management program, sometimes operating in silos, operating on different systems in the past, whatever the case may be. Um, so how are you linking it into, you know, elements like uh, customer risk assessment, transaction monitoring, investigations, and, and so forth. Yeah, uh, I think I had the privilege of working with Jim Richards, who I think you know as well. And I think one of the things that, that Jim and I strove to do when we're, we're running that, that program uh, is it has to be integrated because, again, to the reputational risk, the, the risk is at the institution level. And doing something really well and then failing to connect it up within your own organization um, is almost as bad as not doing it at all. And, and I think you're spot on in terms of that, that understanding of the customer then becomes key. It flows into, I think, what people are now talking about as contextual monitoring and maybe dropping the transactional. I think you're still using transactions. You have to look at where the money's flowing. But it's that combination of KYC and transaction monitoring, giving you now contextual monitoring as a true way of dealing with, one, the volume of alerts, getting them down to the right level, but two, getting to a more effective and a higher performance in terms of finding the right activity that's of concern. Um, 
uh, I've seen some people kind of do, people go, oh, well, you look at this, you know, transaction flow um, for this drug trafficker, and it was it was obvious they were laundering money, but really uh, a drug traffic organization, say in El Paso, and a wholesaler of fruit and vegetables in El Paso, both taking their produce coming through from Mexico and then distributing to the U.S. from a transactional basis, they might look very similar. And with the price of avocados, maybe actually the price of drugs, they are then really the, the money movements may be similar as well. So it really becomes then add on your context from the KYC of, okay, what are the allegations out there in the press? And how do you dist- dis- distinct, sorry, how do you make a distinct difference between that wholesaler of fruit and veg and the drug trafficker, which of course is lying to you. It's not like they've got drug trafficking Inc. as their company name. Um, and, and putting that context there is going to make the difference. Uh, the same with the, you touched on risk assessment, but then you look at then the aggregation of that risk. You know, I think we still have in the OCC manual a focus on leather goods industries. I'm not quite sure how much the Italian mafia are still doing through the leather goods industry in the US, but contextual monitoring of what's adverse and then aggregating that for all of your customers. If you're running, you know, your wholesale bank, your trade finance, um, your retail bank, you can then bring that up to the aggregate level of looking at, okay, what's the complete view of my customer base risk assessment by leveling the aggregation of your perpetual KYC. Um, That's going to give you a much better risk assessment. It's going to allow you to bank the places that you really want to bank, um, as well as weed out the individual customers that you don't don't want to to see within the organization or within, within society. Yeah, you made you made a great well, you made several great points there, but but you know one really important um, one really important thing that you mentioned is this isn't just about identifying bad activity and stopping financial criminals. It's also about providing good services for good customers too, right? So uh, we really want to make sure that we're allowing the you know payment to Ukraine that's a remittance back to a family that that needs the funds or the avocado seller in Mexico. Um, you know these are services that 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 we we probably and do want to provide, right? Um, and want to make sure that it's easy and um, and pretty seamless for for the good customers to do good transactions. So yeah, it's really both sides. Obviously, we're focusing on the financial crime aspect, but within that wider context, by doing by identifying bad activity more effectively, we can also provide services uh, to the good you know the good customers in a in a a more coherent and and hopefully uh, more effective way too, right? Oh, exactly. I think the, the openness of the financial system, you know, within a less than two seconds, if you can come back and say, I've checked all of my sanctions, all of my PEPs, all of my ICIJ lists, the global news environment, yeah, Europol, Hong Kong, Singapore, I've done all of that check, less than two seconds, I found nothing. Okay, well, then let's bank this person. <laughs> yeah, right. and have a documentary evidence of why we can bank that person. Right. Because as much as we talk about the problem, you're right. You know, 99% of the people we're trying to look at are going to be law-abiding citizens of, of whichever country they're in, and, and you know, want access to those financial services. Yeah, absolutely, 
Absolutely. Well, Graham, it has been uh, a real pleasure having this conversation. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, to, to sum it up, I'll just say, uh, uh, get better data, make faster decisions, uh, keep better customers and make the world a better place is what this perpetual KYC seems to be all about, which is very compelling. Um, and I do appreciate the focus as mentioned on really, uh, not just uh, uh, the technology, the compliance aspect, but the societal benefit aspect, because I think that is that is absolutely necessary. So I certainly urge all our listeners out there to learn more about what Quantified is doing in this space um, and follow up with them on the perpetual KYC piece. But uh, Graham, it's been a real pleasure. Brian, thank you. Pleasure to speak to you again, as always. Excellent. Uh, and thanks to our listeners, as always, for tuning in to the Financial Crime Cast, uh, the latest news analysis and guidance across the financial crime spectrum. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, many other places where your uh, favorite podcasts live. So look forward to having you all tune in to the next episode and goodbye for now, everyone.